said she came in depressed and uh, there, you know, I don't want to get just off on a tangent about uh, um, the pandemic, but what you d describe is, is so vividly, you know, Reich's basic thing, love, work and knowledge are the wellsprings of our life. Those are vital functions that are there from, I believe, the moment, moment we're born to the moment yes. we die. Doing something productive is work, and loving is is the connections with other people, and yeah. curiosity and exploring is the knowledge function. So, she had that one cut off. So, as you said, she had no natural outlet for her energy. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast, brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a case presentation, interview, or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. We'd love for you to leave a rating and review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Amazon's Audible, and Spotify. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. This episode features the audio from one of our webinars. Dr. Howard Chavis tells Dr. Peter Christ about a number of patients he treated in which his immediate understanding of what was going on emotionally and how they characteristically handle themselves allowed him to treat them effectively. Hello, I'm Dr. Peter Chris. I'm here today to host the latest in the American College of Ergonomy's A Different Kind of Psychiatry webinar series. And today we have Dr. Howard Chavis joining us to talk about the benefits of an immediate understanding of a patient's character. Welcome, Dr. Chavis. So let me just say a few words about Dr. Chavis before we get into our discussion. So Dr. Chavis is in private practice in psychiatry, treating adults and children in Manhattan and Scarsdale, New York. He is also board certified in psychiatry and medical ergonomy. And this year, Dr. Chavis became editor of the Journal of Ergonomy. So welcome, Dr. Chavis. And I also want to welcome everybody um, who has joined us today. Um, I understand we have people from around the world, all the way from the West Coast of the US to Greece. And those who are with us from Europe, thank you for staying up late on a Saturday. And those in uh, the West Coast, thank you for joining us on an early Saturday afternoon. So Dr. Chavis, usually we have people present a, a single case and today you've decided to present three short uh, cases for discussion. So tell us uh, what made you decide to take that approach? Of course, but first I'd like to say hello, Dr. Christ, and also a hearty hello to all the members of the audience scattered across the globe. I've selected uh, three patients uh, who illustrate uh, the importance of observation. And what I mean by observation is seeing who the person is in front of me, uh, including characteristic ways that the person protects themselves emotionally. This allows me to understand how the person, how the patient functions emotionally. 
and can provide me the understanding of how to effectively address the difficulties and problems that the person brings for treatment. So Dr. Chavis, why don't you go ahead and, and tell us about the first case and we'll get into some discussion about it and then move on to the other ones. Okay. The first patient is a 32 year old woman who comes to me unhappy, depressed, uh, a, a bit angry and anxious. And as she tells me her story of how she lives with uh, a man uh, who doesn't treat her well, who in fact abuses her emotionally, I notice that uh, she occasionally smiles. And I point out to her in a soft, gentle way, are you aware that you're smiling? And she's not. And then she continues with her account of living with this bum. And uh, uh, I point out to her again, are you aware that you are smiling? She's not. And gradually what she sees or what she feels is that yes, she's angry and she knows that, but she's not aware of just how angry, in fact, furious she is about how her live-in boyfriend treats her. So um, I, I, one question that comes to my mind already is, is how do you know when to do something like point out uh, that smile as opposed to asking her for more history about the situation and about her? Yeah, that's a great question because what I'm looking at is how the person presents themselves. And if she's telling me that she's angry, but how she sounds and how she looks is incongruous with the emotion, then I point out to her, I pointed out to her, uh, her smile. I didn't go into why she's smiling. I just pointed out that she was uh, smiling. And that helped her make uh, better contact not only that she was angry, but just how angry she, she was. Mm -hmm. And so can you tell us more what happened then from there? Yeah. Well, I saw her for a second session mm -hmm. and we got into uh, how she might handle uh, the situation uh, with her boyfriend. And it became clear that just given how angry she was, she wanted to actually end the, the relationship. She had had enough. But what came to, to her at that time emotionally is her fear of speaking up and speaking up effectively for what she actually wanted was to get rid of him. And so uh, that second session included both an expression, uh, her expressing her anger more, more uh, effectively and with the intensity that she felt it, as well as her making contact with her fear of speaking up for herself. The third session, interestingly enough, she came in and she said, I got rid of him. She kicked him out, which was great. And uh, uh, the other thing that she said, interestingly enough, um, is that when she was a girl, a young girl, her friends called her Smiley. So even back then, this was a characteristic, uh, characteristic uh, behavior for her. And presumably it served exactly the same function. It kept her out of touch with either her anger or just how angry uh, she was. By the fourth session, uh, therapy was terminated. She didn't need to see me anymore because she was no longer unhappy. She was no longer miserable. Uh, she wasn't angry. 
And I treated her effectively, understanding a characteristic behavior of hers that was emotionally protective and no medication was prescribed for her uh, depression, her being no, that, that's really great. And, and what, I'm, what I'm struck by is, is we have the concept of the red thread of somebody's character, that a central trait that they develop, incorporate into their character. And it sounds like with her, uh, Smiley may be uh, her red thread. Uh, yes. And, and you were able to identify and pick that up. And, it, and we've said often in, in our training that if you can identify that red thread and point it out, it's like hitting a bullseye uh, yes. with an arrow. So the, the other thing that strikes me is that many people might say, well, she's no longer depressed because she, re she ended this relationship as if the problem is outside. But I, I wish you'd say a bit more about, because uh, I think there's more to it, the, uh, the connection between depression and, and anger. Yes, well, it was clear that she characteristically did not allow herself uh, uh, to feel the emotion and especially the intensity of the emotion. Mm -hmm. And thus the emotion stayed and uh, stayed and actually it stayed in her chest for the most part and her throat. And so when she was finally able to uh, uh, feel the intensity of her emotion and to express it in the session, and then eventually to the person who was the source of her fury, then she was no longer depressed. It wasn't simply that she resolved the social situation. Yeah, that's what I was sensing, right. right. And I think that's a very important point for people to understand is, is there's a tendency for people to um, put their problems outside themselves as if, if they solve the social thing that will solve their emotional problems. But what we understand as character, um, the defenses get incorporated. You can change the external circumstances, but that won't necessarily change how you're handling it inside. And here with this woman in three sessions, you were help, able to help her change the dynamics of how she handled her emotions. So that's, that's yes. really, really wonderful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure very satisfying. I mean, those cases where, where you can just catch it and see it and, and address it are so great. So Yeah, well, that's it, the title of my presentation. How it yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Um, is, is there anything more about that case you think would be good for us to talk about before we move on to another one? I, I think that's, that's, that's pretty much it. What's okay. surprising is how the observation leads to an, under, uh, to an understanding, an observation of how the person presents themselves, mm -hmm. you know, literally within seconds, mm -hmm. uh, as, as well as the characteristic way that the person protects themselves emotionally. Yeah. And it, the, the proof is in the pudding because it led to an effective, effectively addressing the difficulties that she uh, brought for treatment. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so important to just underscore the, that in what we do, uh, as medical ergonomists, when we're addressing, doing character analytic work, addressing the character, we're yes. uh, dealing with how that person basically handles their emotions. That's the key. Um, yeah. And so many other treatments would either 
medicate the depression and or anxiety rather than addressing the underlying basis for it. So. Yeah. Or they may go into the person's history yeah. uh, as if that's crucial to understanding the patient. And yeah. my next patient illustrates exactly that point. Okay, good. Well, let's hear. Okay. So the next patient is uh, a, 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 a man who is in his early 60s. And I understood that he had seen over the previous 30 plus years, many, many different therapists, many types of therapy, and uh, uh, with no resolution to what he brought to uh, the difficulties he brought to, to treatment. So he came into my office, he sits in the, consult, in, the, in the consultation chair, and if I can demonstrate, he puts his arm over the back of the chair and proceeds to give me a little bit of history. After literally three minutes, maybe it was four minutes, I said to him the following. I said, softly, directly, I said, do you feel as comfortable as you look? He just looked at me. He was taken aback. And after about 15 seconds or so, he said, no. He said, I do this to put you at ease so I don't feel anxious. Let me just say that no previous therapist over the previous 30 plus years of treatment, of therapy, had ever addressed what was right in front of them. No, that's that's so important. It's it's not um, that other therapists uh, aren't well intentioned, aren't uh, good at what they do, but that understanding of character is is really so crucial in the work that we do, and and I think it differentiates it uh, from so many other approaches. So, so then what happened with him? Well, what happened is that initial observation on my part and his explanation led to several years of treatment where we addressed, or I addressed, uh, the various ways, the manifestations of how he avoided feeling anxious. And this affected his social functioning, his professional functioning, and also uh, led to his developing uh, somatic symptoms, physical aches and pains, uh, that then I could have actually effectively treat on the couch. Mm -hmm. So I treated both psychically and somatically mm -hmm. the consequences or the manifestations of how characteristically through his character, he tried to control uh, uh, interactions so as not to feel anxious. Mm -hmm. And that's addressing his character. Right, right. What strikes me too, though, is, is that um, he was not a, a, aware uh, so it was right on the on the surface in some ways, but you captured it right at the point where he could become aware. So how did you know that was the thing to say and what would work? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> Let me just deny being a magician. Okay. All right, good. It's not magic. Yeah. Because you know, through uh, training and experience as a medical ergonomist, we let's just say I'll speak for myself, I learn to trust what I see, what I observe, and what I also sense or feel. Mm -hmm. And so that, these sources of, of information, if you will, yeah. um, are, are, are so important in seeing, understanding, feeling, 
experiencing what's going on emotionally at any given second, mm-hmm. not even simply each minute, but every single second. And that informs me as to how I should address what's, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, can you imagine uh, a situation where you might have said that and it wouldn't have worked? Um, yes. Uh, again, at any particular moment, I make the choice between addressing something psychically yeah. through words uh, or in some fashion addressing uh, um, what's happening uh, emotionally or making the choice and doing something we call it biophysical, biophysically, mm-hmm. working physically, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, the patient. I mean, as an example, I might not say or I, I might say something or I may just give a, a, a ex- show an expression on my face like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? <laughs> are, you, are you kidding? Um, and 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 I go by my instinct, and we call that contact, emotional contact, of myself, you know, with the uh, with the person, the patient uh, sitting in front of me, mm-hmm. and that informs me uh, uh, how how to respond. Yeah, I, I think maybe many people don't. Um, uh, I mean, I think that's one of the things that we have to offer with doing these webinars is giving people a glimpse of behind the scenes of what's going on with us as, as therapists, how we approach it. And so I really appreciate you you just talking about these, these so-called little examples. It's those little things that make up the real um, um, wonderful aspect of the work that we do. And and I'm, you just reminded me that, that um, uh, you know, I've, I've always been scientifically oriented. I love observing, as you know, and, and we may be able to get into even more discussion about that. But that what I realized fairly early on is working with patients, I would get an impression like you're talking about. And every time I would say something, it really is an experiment. to see what is the effect of what I'm saying. And there's some times where it's right on target, other times where it's not. And uh, along the line, I I realized, let me just be sure that the patient isn't just going along with me. So I I very often will say, if early in treatment with someone, if I ever say something that seems off the mark or or isn't right, uh, just uh, tell me, challenge me and invite them to do that. And I remember a woman where I said, um, you know, it sounds like you're mistrustful. She said, no, I'm not mistrustful. I'm afraid of people. And I thought, whoa, okay. She doesn't want to acknowledge she's mistrustful, but she can acknowledge she's afraid. Uh, yeah. So those kinds of things that you're talking about picking up, this guy could hear you when you said, are you as anxious as you look? Yeah. I mean, I mean, are you as comfortable as you look? Yeah. Right. As relaxed right. as you look. So. That's right. Yeah. So any, anything else about this particular patient that you want to? Well, you know, again, we're talking, we're talking about the importance. You and I are talking about the importance of observation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a bonus example from another patient. Okay. I used to work with the medically ill, mm-hmm. uh, hospitalized patients, as seeing them as a psychiatrist. And I was asked to see a woman 
who had abdominal distension, meaning her stomach was distended. And she had what was called a million dollar workup, meaning she was in the hospital for you know 10 days, two weeks, and every single test came back negative. And then they asked me, Sherlock Holmes, the psychiatrist, to, to see from my perspective what was going on. My consultation was uh, uh, lasted maybe 30 minutes or so, but I made the diagnosis within two and a half to three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. And what, how did this come about? I went into her room, uh, I introduced myself. She was a Chinese, a young Chinese woman from Taiwan. And I said, tell me about yourself. And she said, I'm married, I'm a mother of two young kids and we live in New Jersey. Um, and we, uh, I think she must have said, we have a home in New Jersey. So I said to her, my next question was, and this was totally instinctual on my part, it's not magic, but instinctual. I said, and who else lives at home with you? Mm. She looked at me and she said, my mother-in-law. Mm. And she swallowed. I observed that she swallowed. And what did that tell me? I made the diagnosis. Her abdominal distension was, there was something going on with the mother-in-law where she was swallowing. Uh-huh. Okay? We know that most air in the, in the GI tract is from swallowed air. So then she went on to tell me, as I questioned her, that the mother-in-law was a wretch. She was critical, judgmental, harsh, ungrateful, that she was a guest in their home. Mm-hmm. And that because of, her, of the patient's own difficulty speaking up for herself and her cultural milieu, this was a Chinese culture where you have to respect your elders. She mm-hmm. swallowed all of her natural, rational uh, uh, anger and then fury and frustration with this mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and that took about three minutes. Yeah. yeah. And the resolution was that fortunately, her husband told his mother, her mother-in-law, told his mother, Time to leave and go back to Taiwan. <laughs> Medical situation <laughs> resolved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a great story. And that's, and that's a bonus. That's the, that's the bonus. Uh, yeah, okay. The observation. Yeah. yeah saw that, I saw that she swallowed. Right, right. So before we go on to, uh, to the next um, uh, case that you wanted to talk about, I want to just remind the uh, audience um, to use the Q&A uh, write in your questions, and after we're uh, done going through the, the, the cases, uh, we'll take questions from the audience from you. So, so Dr. Chavis, go ahead and tell us about the, the third patient. Yeah, the third patient is a woman in her early 80s, and uh, she, is ga- she was gainfully employed full-time in a very responsible position uh, until the pandemic hit. And she, along with many of her other coworkers, were actually furloughed. They were let go. Mm-hmm. So she hadn't worked for over, over a year uh, mm-hmm. when I saw her. And uh, when I saw her for the first time in the office, she looked miserable, absolutely miserable. And when I said to her, well, tell me something about yourself, she told me that 
she was no longer working, that this was very difficult for her, um, that uh, she was anxious, she was depressed. And I saw just how important work uh, was, was for her. This is not simply a matter of uh, ego gratification, but it was an essential uh, part of her, uh, of her living and functioning. And absent work, uh, there was no opportunity for her to be, let's say, productive and to discharge her energy. So what I was seeing, I realized from the very beginning, um, was an accentuation of all of her, let's say, her, her ordinary, I'll put it, quote, unquote, unquote, neurotic tendencies. It turned out that she was very harsh with herself. She was judgmental. Um, she uh, said just how sick she was that uh, she was crying at night and she couldn't sleep. Um, but rather than being kind to herself, she was just very, very uh, critical of herself. Mm-hmm. So you might ask, well, um, what did I do? Yeah, what did you do? Very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I asked her if she had either medical training or a, 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 a license to practice medicine. <laughs> and this may appear to come out of the blue, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Because what she was doing in her crying, she was giving herself emotional first aid. Uh-huh. And I recognized that. Mm-hmm. And be, I, what I was addressing was her characteristic tendency out of her character uh, to be critical of herself. Uh-huh. And I was saying to her, you know, give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is, is, is right on target. And I told her that. Mm-hmm. I didn't say what you're doing is right on target. I said, what you're doing is emotional first aid. Mm-hmm. That was in the first session. And she appreciated that. Uh-huh. And it Great. also took, took her seeing something as pathological, her crying as pathological. And I said, this is an expression of your health. Uh-huh. This was in the very first session. Yeah, yeah. And she had never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. This woman, extraordinarily healthy. Yeah. Extraordinarily healthy. Enormous health in her. And I've told her over the course of time that I've treated her just how much health there is in her and how I appreciated that. And each time that I saw it, I would say, you see, this is an example again of what I said from the very first session. This is. The, the the health in you. No, that's that's wonderful, uh, Dr. Chavis, and and I mean I think again differentiating some of what we do that understanding that everybody has a healthy core in them. Yes, uh, you know the terms that I've used is nature, character, and personality. But everybody has a healthy nature, and so many other disciplines just don't recognize that distinction between a healthy nature and the neurotic character. And if you don't make that distinction, you can't really uh, make much progress because I, I, I know that it's our connection as one human being to another with the health in, in us and the health in the patient that allows us to make an alliance to help them overcome the sickness in them. And, and you know, just to identify it with her, that's, that's really... Uh, so it's so simple, but sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things for people to see 
and yeah. to do and and to do that can make such a huge difference. So yeah. So, so tell us more about what happened with her then. Well, um, uh, another difficulty for her for her was her youngest daughter was very cruel to her. Mm. Very, very cruel. And uh, initially she had difficulty accepting uh, the, uh, her own reaction to that because uh, she, uh, she felt that the daughter was, not, was ungrateful and, and my patient was angry about that. Mm. But because of the, her own life's experience, she had difficulty allowing herself to feel angry. And so I basically, I mean, not basically, I addressed the difficulty that, uh, uh, that she had accepting uh, her anger. Um, I didn't exactly call the daughter, the, 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 the cruel daughter, a wretch, but I, I sort of, I, I did in some, in some fashion by asking her the question. I mean, who wouldn't be angry under this circumstance? Who wouldn't be angry that the daughter, that, you know, that a child who you sacrifice so much for is ungrateful and not only ungrateful, but cheap towards you or to you, um, uh, 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 basically mistreating you emotionally. And by posing it in that way, by asking the question, I was allowing her or giving her permission to feel angry. Mm -hmm. And where this led is that she decided that she was going to send her daughter an email. Mm -hmm. Now, so what she did was she started composing emails. We decided together, uh, mostly from her side, not to send, which I think to send the email, which was, I think the right decision uh, mm -hmm. yeah. to make. But Week after week, she came in with stacks of emails that she never sent. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they were getting stronger and stronger and stronger mm -hmm. until finally, and I'm, I'm chuckling, <laughs> pardon me, but she said in one of her emails, F you, bitch. <laughs> uh -huh. Gold. This was gold. <laughs> For her to just be able to acknowledge it, yeah. And to express it, to, say, to express even it. say it to her daughter. She was saying it in the email. So yeah. at some later point, maybe a couple of weeks later, I told her, this may have appeared out of the blue, but I said to her, listen, I think maybe you could write a book or you should write a book. Mm -hmm. Maybe the title of the book or the title of the first chapter should be F the bitch. <laughs> and she laughed and uh -huh. laughed. We had, we had such a hearty laugh. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing that I, I share with many, many patients, but especially with her. Um, and, and that is, I'll, I'll call it humor, but, but there's always a point. It's not like I'm thinking analytically or intellectually, but there's a point. For example, she said to me, that she thought maybe she has another four or eight years uh, mm -hmm. left. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's in her eighties. Yeah. So I said to her, I said to her, you have to live to at least a hundred. She <laughs> said, really? She said, why, why is that? So I said to her, because she hates Trump. Okay. 
So I said to her, when you reach 100, you'll get a letter from the White House, from the president, acknowledging your 100th birthday. birthday, And it won't be from Trump. <laughs> and she laughed and uh-huh. laughed and laughed. We had such a hearty laugh. Over uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so again, um, it sounds like you, you said she came in depressed. And uh, there, you know, I don't want to get just off on a tangent about uh, um, the pandemic, but what you d- describe is is so vividly, you know, Reich's basic thing, love, work, and knowledge are the wellsprings of our life. Those are vital functions that are there from, I believe, the moment, moment we're born to the moment yes. we die. Doing yes. something productive is work, and loving is, is the connections with other people, and yes. curiosity and exploring is the knowledge function. So, she had that one cut off. So as you said, she had no natural outlet for her energy. backed yes. up, but she also uh, tended to take her, her um, frustration and anger out on herself. So for exactly. her to be able to express the anger um, was very similar to the first case of overcoming the, uh, the depression. So, yes. Yeah, I mean, these cases really so nicely uh, illustrate just basic uh, principles about understanding character and, and how to work with that. So it's, it's really great to hear them. Thank you. Is there anything more about that third patient? Um, well, she's actively pursuing looking for work. Okay, great. Uh, she was sort of tied up yeah. uh, uh, for a period of time. But thanks to her treatment with me, she's actively engaged, both looking for work and she's she's able to work. I mean, even at you know, even though she's in her early eighties, she was a valued member, uh, a valued uh, component of the corporation she worked for. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. she's act- actively looking for work, and she's more socially engaged uh, with other people. That's uh, great, and yeah. she's 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 fabulous. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. I mean, I have that feeling. Uh, sometimes the most exciting patients are are decades older than some younger people that you would hope might be more exciting. It's it's just great to see the life, no matter what age. Uh, that's right. In them. And I and I tell her that I say you are so alive, and that's quote unquote. That's what I say to her. You are so alive. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'm uh, there's several different things that have come up um, in your discussion about these these patients. Um, I don't know why, but I, I was struck by years ago, somebody pointed out that uh, in our culture, there's a tendency for um, a difference between uh, men and women. That Typically, um, women have a harder time expressing anger and are more likely to cry or, or be uh, sad. And men are more likely to cover their vulnerability by getting angry. And, and it's not quite that the man was, was angry, but he, the emotions he was not going to show were, were the softer ones of anxiety yeah. or depression or anything like that. But the women had more trouble with, with mobilizing anger and would, would uh, cry and, and be sad instead. So yeah. um, yes. the, the other thing, I, I do want to take a couple minutes and go back um, to what we were saying about observation, because you said um, 
in seconds, sometimes you, you know what's going on with people and, and you're titled The Benefits of an Immediate Understanding of a Patient's Character. And you know that in our seminars, other places, I've been emphasizing the functional approach of observe, observe, observe until a conclusion spontaneously comes to you uh, from the phenomenon you're observing, not from some preconception or uh, uh, prejudice or distortion. And so um, the point is, is somehow, I think when I've talked about that, people think that may take a long time, but you're pointing out that the observations can be very quick and the conclusion can actually come spontaneously from what you observe within seconds. That's not magic, that's functional contact. And yes. I think it's crucial to un underscore that. You know? Yes. And I, it's funny, I, um, I, I love tennis as, as I think you, you have. And um, a while ago, uh, I was thinking about, well, a tennis player doesn't have the time to observe and observe, observe before they decide where to hit the ball. And, and then I, I saw an article, a study about um, different tennis players and Roger Federer uh, had much faster um, capacity to literally perceive what was happening with the ball. Yes. Yes. And, and so that's what you're talking about. If we're yes. going to be world-class therapists, um, we need to improve the, the, our ability to perceive and our um, ability to perceive accurately and, and quickly. Yes. Yeah. I have another clinical example, a very, okay. very brief one, if I might. Sure. Yeah. Again, when I was working with the medically ill as a psychiatrist, I was asked to see this woman in her 80s who the staff thought, the nursing staff thought was suicidal because she was refusing to eat, mm -hmm. okay? So I go in to see her. She's this little little Jewish lady in, mm -hmm. in bed. And I, I introduced myself and I said, I'm a psychiatrist. Why, why has the nursing staff asked me to see you, uh, see, see, recommend that a psychiatrist see you? She says, I don't know. I said, well, let me tell you. They think you're suicidal because you're refusing to eat. Mm. He says, they never bring me a kosher tray. <laughs> the whole consultation was a minute and a half. <laughs> so talk about uh, jumping to conclusions based right. on a misunderstanding, misperception. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My observation of her, no way is she, this woman, suicidal. No way. Uh-huh. But, but, but also, you know, just making that connection and observing there are other things than, than uh, suicidality that can make somebody not eat, you know. Yep, yep. So um, we, we have some uh, questions from, from the audience, but before we uh, get to those, um, uh, could you just quickly summarize, you know, the, the ba basic thing you're talking about, the importance of a therapist's understanding of character? Yeah. This the understanding arises from observation. You know, my training and experience as a medical ergonomist, the focus is on character, the characteristic ways or way or ways that an individual protects themselves among, uh, emotionally. And this leads to an understanding of how the, the individual, the person functions emotionally. And this allows me to effectively treat this understanding allows me to effectively treat 
the difficulties or the problems mm -hmm. that people bring to uh, to treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, so one question um, we have here is. Uh, how do you know that a patient can stand strong emotions? Because uh, with several of these patients, strong emotions came up. How do you know they can tolerate it? Yeah. Again, it's a moment-to-moment -moment, uh, uh, evaluation. The person certainly has no idea that I'm either thinking about uh, the strength of uh, whether they can tolerate the strength of emotion, but I'm constantly assessing that. It may not be in the forefront of my thinking, but I am observing the patient, how they, how they express, how they're expressing themselves, mm -hmm. how they're holding back, what obstacles are they placing in the way? What do I then, how do I then respond uh, in pointing this out? And then I see what effect my, uh, uh, my intervention, mm -hmm. uh, although it doesn't look like an intervention, uh, what effect it, it has. So it's a constant process. Yeah, I, and I, I again, you just said something that uh, we often mention that is just so fundamental in in any um, social engagement, any work. We need to look at the effect we have, not what our, what the intentions are, what's said, what is the actual effect, and that's again back to observation, observation. So, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there was another question here about um, the second patient, the, the man. Um, what else did he do to disconnect from himself emotionally besides this uh, acting relaxed when he wasn't? Well, in some fashion, he tried to control interactions so he wouldn't feel anxious. Mm -hmm. And there were myriad ways that he, uh, that he uh, tried to control interactions. One could imagine that in his romantic relationships, he had to be in charge. This mm -hmm. is a classic mm -hmm. uh, behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was some, someone else asked about that second patient, just wondering how long he was in therapy or is he still? Well, he was in treatment with me for two or three years. Okay. And then he, uh, then he stopped. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, can you say anything about why your understanding of why he stopped? Um, I think he had had enough. Yeah, yeah. And I don't chase a patient. Yes, yeah. You know, when he said he had had enough in so, whatever fashion he said that, and I didn't let it go by. I, I certainly uh, inquired or asked about that. Mm -hmm. He had had enough. Yeah, yeah. And that no, was I, it. And I think that's uh, that's something that maybe. Uh, we may not convey enough is, is we need to stay with where the patient is, what they're interested in, what they want uh, to do. We may see things much deeper in them that they just either don't want to deal with or can't deal with. And you reminded me of the uh, paper I, I wrote for the journal a number of years ago. I think it was called Motivations for Therapy. And, and one patient really wanted to dig in and go into the depths. Another one um, we got to a point where he, he wasn't so depressed, the symptoms were better. And I said, we were at a point where we can either stop or we can look more deeply into it, think about it, come back. And he came back for one more session. And he said, it's like, do I want to 
try to live with the dragon that's in me or to slay the dragon. And he said, I don't think I have it in me to try to slay the dragon. I'm going to leave. And, and you know, he left um, feeling much better and, and happy with that. And, and I think that was uh, really a good outcome. So. Yeah. You see, I think what you're pointing out is that because we understand the person, um, how they function, their character, Mm -hmm. characteristic ways that they protect themselves. Uh, our understanding may, uh, uh, we, we can see the, let's say the playing, the playing field. Mm -hmm. um, and we, I won't say we may want more for the patient, but we have to be very cognizant that we don't want more for the patient than they want for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, that, that's hard sometimes because I, you know, I know there are times where I've seen something in someone that they could, I think they could tap into, but they just don't have it in them to do it. So, right. Uh, so let me see another question here. Um, oh, uh, about the lady who lived with the bum. <laughs> said, did Dr. Chavis have her scream on the couch or was the discussion with him, discussion with him sufficient? It, just, it, was, it was, she never was on the couch. Okay. It was sufficient for me to point out her smile. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this allowed her to make better contact with the emotion and especially the intensity of emotion mm -hmm. allowed her to do what she needed to do for her, for herself. Uh -huh. The fact that she came back uh, at a subsequent session and said, I, my friends used to call me smiley. That was confirmation yeah. that I was totally on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. Just by pointing it out. I never said address the function of it. I just simply made the observation yeah. and reflected it back to her. And again, that's so important because I think a lot of people think therapy is about having the person understand the meaning, but right. just ex uh, having it pointed out, them coming into contact with that without any other ideas about it is enough to change the emotional dynamics of no longer using that defense to handle it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So here, here's um. Uh, a, a good one is what do you do if you can't really understand a person's character? What if you don't really find a point to hook, uh, to hook in? Yeah, that's an excellent question because uh, um, Dr. Baker points out, has pointed out in his book, uh, in particular, Man in the Trap, that sometimes it can take the longest time to understand the patient. It may take years. And the fact is, is that I, what I've demonstrated in presenting the three patients and the, the, the two bonus uh, patients um, is that you can present, you can address what you see. You may not understand or even identify the uh, specific character or character structure, but what I do identify uh, is, the, let's call it the, the emotional dynamic the defense, and the emotion. And then you see where that leads you. You see where it leads you and the patient. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there, there are several questions about the... So can I enter, just add one other thing? And so the patient's life can improve mm -hmm. and sometimes can improve dramatically. Yeah, yeah. That's without a specific character diagnosis. Yeah. 
Well, I think, um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a great uh, answer to that previous question. So go, going to a couple of questions about the um, woman in her 80s. One is, were you able to put the 80-year-old on the couch or was it enough to just have her express her anger in the emails she never sent? Yeah, this is a, that's an excellent question because she's still in treat, treatment with me. Okay. And within the last month, I've begun to address her posture. Uh-huh. Her posture is like this. Her shoulders are like this. Mm-hmm. And so I introduced the idea of work on the tightness in her shoulders. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, sure enough, I've begun to work biophysically or physically mm-hmm. on her tense, the tense muscles of her neck and, and her shoulders. Uh-huh. And out comes a ton of emotion. Uh-huh. And she said, this is very painful. And we, agree, we agreed that I would work just as much as she can tolerate, mm-hmm. which is exactly the way it should be. Yeah. Um, as tense as her shoulders look, I'm, I'm working on her neck first. Yeah. I worked on her shoulders a little bit. It was too much. I work on her neck very gently. And out comes a ton of feeling. And she said, she said, I don't know how this works, she said. But at the end of the session, she says, but I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, I, again, a fundamental difference between what medical ergonomists do and so many other uh, therapists and disciplines do. But, uh, so with that, could you say a little bit about the, the connection between her character and uh, how that came up and, and what you understand. How is this posture related to her character? Yeah. Um, she's a hysteric, okay? Uh-huh. And hysterics traditionally are a, a characteristic uh, of the hysteric is they run away from uh, 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 disturbing emotions. In her case, was anger, mm-hmm. or it is anger. And so I characterologically or character analytically addressed uh, uh, her anger and how she ran away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that, she's been in treatment with, treatment with me for a year and a half to two years. Mm-hmm. And I helped her enormously with that. So much so, as I said earlier, she said, F you, bitch, (laughs) (laughs) which showed that I was on the right track. But at a certain point, uh, the problems that she had sleeping, um, which she didn't have, did not happen every night, but she would uh, not be able to sleep. She'd be crying. She'd be furious. Uh, This needed um, a more effective uh, intervention. Mm -hmm. And so I prescribed a very gentle uh, uh, sleep med. It was it was not a sleeping medication. It was a very low dose of an antidepressant, which she took uh, maybe one out of every five or, or seven nights. Mm-hmm. But of recent, she's she's needed something more. And rather than prescribe a heavier medication, I suggested the biophysical work, uh-huh. and it's helped it's helped her enormously. Uh-huh. Okay, great. So uh, also about that case, I think looking at, at some of the effects of therapy, uh, someone asked, after the 80-year-old patient made contact with intense anger towards her daughter, 
Did that relationship change at all and how did her behavior toward her daughter or her daughter's behavior toward the patient change? Yeah, an excellent question. Uh, if I can editorialize, the daughter is a wretch mm -hmm. and there's no way her, uh, her, the daughter's behavior will change. Mm -hmm. She's cruel. Uh, she knows just how to torture her mother. And so the daughter's behavior uh, 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 certainly won't change. Mm -hmm. The mother's behavior, my patient's behavior has changed. Mm -hmm. She no longer sends emails uh, trying to make contact with her. She knows that the daughter will turn it around and use it against her in a cruel way. Mm -hmm. So she's no longer importunes the daughter. Mm -hmm. She doesn't try. Yeah, yeah. And that's... Uh, that's the best thing that she can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I haven't told her what to do, right. but we've discussed it and she's come to the solution uh, herself. She knows better yeah, because she's able to uh, see the situation much more clearly and stand the disappointment that she experiences, that her own daughter rejects her in a murderous way, and I'm not exaggerating, mm -hmm. in a murderous way, the love that uh, that my patient has for her daughter. So um, there, there's one question that that, um, uh, that maybe I'll, I, I will attempt to answer it because I think it's right up my alley. But, but you can comment. Do you make a distinction between a person's character and their personality? And then also are people in their healthy core naturally different, for example, being extrovert or introvert, their energy level, talents, the ways of dealing with problems, et cetera, or are healthy people basically the same? So I, I would refer people to my paper, Nature, Character, Personality. It's on, it, it, it's, I think it's volume 27 to something like that, 1992. It's actually on the ACO website on, on the journal, but I, I don't go into a lot about differences in the nature, but I have no question that we're all born with different a different nature. And if you look at chimpanzees, uh, uh, Jane Goodall studies, um, each chimpanzee had a very different nature. So uh, humans, I think, are very much the same. But it's it's really a, a great question. And the distinction between character and personality, yes, I think there is a distinction. There are the three layers. There's the core, the secondary layer, and the facade. The personality is the, the layer of the facade. But I talk about all that in that paper. So um, then a, a couple of other questions that in some way are, are related. Um, uh, Dr. Chavis has implied he can nail someone's character within the first few seconds. Has he ever been wrong or surprised by what he later learns with more time with the patient? And the other question, maybe we can tie those in together. Can you give an example of when an observation or experiment was a little off or not right on or maybe the patient wasn't ready to hear what you had to say and how you then handled that moment. Well, how I function is I generally don't jump, jump to a conclusion. You know, it's just my, I'll say my nature or what, how, I, uh, uh, how I am is that I observe. Mm -hmm. And that's like an intrinsic quality of mine. So I don't rush I don't feel compelled to make a, a, a character diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, 
again, I let what I see impress itself upon me. And this is not theoretical. This is practical and it's real and it's practical. And so uh, there are times when I may think that somebody is of a particular, uh, has a particular character. And then over time, uh, things emerge or behaviors emerge or mm-hmm. more uh, uh, characteristics emerge where I may question my diagnosis and change it. Mm-hmm. And so I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as I um, talk about, you know, this, this differentiating observations from conclusions, uh, it's very clear to me that a character diagnosis is a conclusion based on all of our observations. And, and a scientific approach is if you've made the wrong conclusion and the data don't fit it, don't try to fit the data to your conclusion, uh, revise your conclusion. So, um, and um, one other question about the 80 year old woman is, is she uh, expressing rage and sadness or both? It's unfortunate, I say unfortunate because of her life's history that, that, that there's both. Uh-huh. She lost a parent at a very early age. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's had yeah. a, prof- yeah. a profound impact yeah. on her entire life. Yeah. But what your, your reaction right there, Dr. Chavis, that's something that, that I think um, people need to know and see is that we are terribly, deeply affected by our patients. And, and that's how we can do our work. As I said, if we can connect with the human being, the health in them, uh, and, and allow ourselves to feel what they're experiencing, we can help them out of it. So, yeah. 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 There's one other question that has to do with someone uh, curious about from their discipline becoming a medical ergonomist. I won't attempt to, I don't think this is the forum to answer that, but if the staff could uh, write that question down and, and uh, send it to Dr. Chavis and me to um, look at how we might respond to that. So um, uh, Dr. Chavis, are there any final thoughts you, you want to leave the audience with? I mean, it's, it's just wonderful what you've told us about, but any final thoughts you want to leave them with? Well, simply to reiterate what I've, I've said before, um, that through my training uh, and my experience as a medical ergonomist, um, I observe the person in front of me. I see how they present themselves. I see that that includes the characteristic or character or logically determined ways that they protect themselves emotionally. And this leads to an understanding of how the person functions emotionally. This leads to me effectively addressing the difficulties and the problems that they bring to treatment. You keep mentioning uh, the training and and it it just affects me. how crucial um, the College of Ergonomy has been in you having the training you've had, me having the training I've had. I know I couldn't do the work I do uh, without the the depth of the training that the college has provided. So, So again, thank you so much for for a wonderful presentation, Dr. Chavis, and 
telling us about these patients and bringing in your bonus patients. That's what's so great about uh, this approach is, is it allows us just the freedom to, okay, we don't have to just stay uh, with that. Things can come up. And believe it or not, sometimes things happen spontaneously and, and we can use them and, and teach from them. So again, thank you so much, Dr. Chavis. You're very welcome. How do you feel after listening to Dr. Chavis's cases? What do you think? Listening to Dr. Chavis discuss his patients reminded me about my very first therapy appointment with a medical ergonomist. It was clear to me that in that first session, he got me, and I still remember how much relief there was for me to be truly seen and heard. If you're interested to hear how I became a medical ergonomist, stay tuned for the next episode where I'm interviewed by Dr. Christ. And I remember driving home, and I was just so excited mm-hmm. about nothing <laughs> um we were driving home you know um through the woods on the highway and just looking out seeing trees it could be like a a, a terrible uh, sign on the side of the highway and i was just excited to see a, a sign to see the trees and i just remember they were kind of like what is going on with you because i just was talkative i just was alive and and just happy to to be experiencing a drive home from the therapist. Oh, that's that's um, wonderful. I mean, what you you said excited about nothing. But my first reaction is what you just said. You were excited about feeling alive. Yeah. yeah. Didn't matter what the alive was about, but just feeling alive. Yeah. Great. And it's like I didn't know that I wasn't alive. I you know I I didn't have this this complaint of feeling dead or or feeling depressed, but it's <laughs> like I was all of those things and I didn't even realize it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't know what you don't have until you feel it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Orgonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical orgone therapy as practiced by the physicians at the ACO offers a way forward, often without the use of medication. <laughs>